0: You're going to step in and, and cast perpendicular to the current. I usually tell people to lay their four fingers down on the water in front of them with their index fingers sticking straight out and then make casts at each of those different finger angles on the water. When you've done your pinky, which is typically close to parallel to the beach, walk about half the distance of your cast and repeat and use that methodology to work your way down the beach. And then whether the tide's coming in or going out, if it's a longer beach that was dave mccoy describing how he covers water
1: for sea run cutthroat trout in puget sound this is episode number 77 of the wet fly swing fly fishing show
0: welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing
1: show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today
0: we'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing fly tying and much more
1: How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Today's episode is sponsored by the Wetfly Swing Member Society. The society provides exclusive discounts on uh, products and services from our member partner companies. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash members to check out some of the companies who are on board, plus support the show at one convenient location. In today's episode, I talk with Dave McCoy from Emerald Water Anglers uh, to chat about fishing Puget Sound. It's been Dave's mission for... Uh, the last 20 years to get more people cutthroat fishing and he shares all of his best tips today. We talk about the characteristics of a good beach, why a one-piece line is best and why he uh, ties his flies a little bit fuller than normal. Don't miss this one as Dave takes us behind the scenes to get a feel for what it was like to open the only fly shop of its kind in western Seattle and what it was uh, like jumping off on that one. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine, sustainable fly fishing gear. Stay tuned later in the show to hear how Ross does his part with DLD to reduce waste and impacts as he builds great equipment in a sustainable fashion. You can find Fresh Equipment Designs on Instagram at Design, and you can get 20% off your next order using the coupon code WFS20 at delifreshdesign.com. So, without further ado, Here's Dave McCoy from EmeraldWaterAnglers.com. How's it going, Dave? Great. How are you, Dave? Good. Good to have you on here. We, this is definitely, uh, you know, we've been chatting quite a while. It's been, it's been pretty awesome. I think you might even have a, you have a little uh, cold or something going on. I've, I've battled that myself, but I'm glad we're finally doing this. And are you ready to get started?
0: I am. Um, I, uh, I did wake up with a cold and I feared if we rescheduled this one, that it would be 2021 before we actually got it on the books again. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's been, yeah, it's been one of the harder, actually. I think maybe, um, there's
1: probably been one or two, maybe one other person that was, that took a little bit longer to get on, but no, this has been, it's, it's awesome. Well, I want, I want to jump into part of, you know, I mean, obviously you have a bunch of stuff going on, you know, at emerald, uh, water anglers, but I want to talk, you know, get into a lot on the cutthroat. Fitness. Because that's you know I first heard about that fishery, it sounded pretty interesting and a lot of fun. So um, we're going to dig into that. But before we get started, maybe can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing.
0: Yeah, um, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and my father uh, became a teacher, as it as it were, to more because he had the opportunity to fish for three months a year. Than to actually take a job, he really was excited about it. I mean, I think he was excited to teach, but I, but because he'd have the summer months off to fish, that was that was maybe of utmost importance to him over everything else. So um, I was kind of thrust into fly fishing without choice from before I can even remember. Hmm. Nice. So you've been yeah. yeah, you've been doing it your whole life and
1: whole and, life. And so when did you know, you, you basically you start out there, but I mean, when does the Emerald Water Anglers, can you tell us a story about how you become, you know, into owning a fly shop? Know, I'm not sure what all you have going, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, um, I was guiding in Colorado and uh, on the Gunnison and myself and three other guides that guided kind of elsewhere in the country and, and in the world at the time. This is all going to sound horribly foreign to anybody that's considerably younger than than me because most of this was almost pre internet. Hmm. And we threw out, I threw out this idea be seated for this <laughs> of starting a website. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. <laughs> where, uh, where all of our, uh, recur- returning clients on the Gunness could, uh, figure out where each one of us was throughout the year. And, again be seated have email contact with us wherever we might be in the world wow yeah well wow. what year Ground, what year is this
1: what year is this when you put this together
0: I think it was in 99 when we 98 or 99 when we were really kind of starting to talk about it that's right and then um, I kind of my wife actually came up with the name because we had decided we were going to move to Seattle from Telluride. And, uh, uh, one of our really good friends called me over to her house one day and said, Hey, check this out. I got a present for you. And she was a early web designer, still is web designer, but, um, was in it pretty early and she'd built me the first website.
1: Oh, wow. And, and why, uh, why Seattle? Uh,
0: my wife and I are both from Oregon, so it was closer to home, but not too close. Yeah. Um, yeah. it felt like there was a lot of fly fishing opportunity in the area and I had somehow harangued my wife into giving me just a long enough leash to guide for another year or two before I maybe had to get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. so, and, uh, I kept straining at the leash until I finally was able to turn this into something that resembles a business. Uh huh. So,
1: that's cool, and, yeah. and and now you know when you look at it, I mean, I'm not even sure what all you have going. Can you give us a quick snippet of what you know maybe how your shop is different from some of the other shops out there, and what you do mostly?
0: well, I think I mean it's all of that'll be semi subjective, I'm sure uh, or come across as such, but when uh we were just a guide service in Seattle for about fifteen years, and oh. I I I had fab, some fabulous staff come across come through our doors and work for me and and uh, it was just really frustrating every couple of years having to re, uh, mm-hmm. hire, hire new people and train them and find somebody of that caliber and and um so we or I had finally found a guy that was really willing to walk this walk with me and and talk about opening a opening a brick and mortar store in conjunction with the guide service. So um I mean I could talk for two hours on how all that came to sure, be, but sure. short shortcut to it is that um You found the right person. Yeah, found the right person. We opened it and uh we really yeah you know, guiding in Colorado I think showed me a lot of stuff that a lot of people on the western side of these western states, at least in the Pacific Northwest not everybody, but a lot of them have never really still to this day don't really grasp the the value of it. But in Seattle, when we I always wanted to have a guide shop and a guide service and a fly shop, um, I think they meld perfectly together and they both support each other if done well. And I think Seattle, the Seattle area is a phenomenal, it's a phenomenally diverse Region to fly fish twelve months of the year. Mm-hmm. When I moved here, there wasn't really a guide service in Western Washington. No kidding. Well, I mean, there were single guides like there was Deck Hogan and sure. Scott O'Donnell and all these you know single individual people, but there wasn't like a centrified service that covered trout and steelhead gotcha. and carp and stuff like that. So and, and is and there way,
1: yeah is there now? I mean, are there other fly shops doing the same thing as you up there?
0: Oh, I think there's ones that are kind of sniffing around trying to, but, um, we definitely on the West side of the state are the most robust. Uh, we've got the largest staff and our entire staff guides instead mm-hmm. of, um, just having people that work the store and then more or less subcontracting out to some other guides. All of our staff are a hundred percent employee of our, of our company. Gotcha. So
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it seems a little uh, interesting that, you know, you would think – it seems like when you think of Washington versus Oregon, you know, you guys have more of everything. There's more water. There's more – well, I mean, typically, the further you go north, the more salmon and steelhead you find as well, you know, as you go up towards Canada and Alaska. But, I mean, why not more fly shops? Because you go down here in in Oregon, and there's there's plenty of fly shops covering guy – you know, covering everything. Does that seem kind of strange that it's just – I mean, you guys – there's not a bunch of shops trying to do the same thing?
0: Well, <clears throat> that's a, such a good question. Uh, on the surface, I'd say, yeah, it does seem weird. But now having done this for over 20 years, no, doesn't seem weird. It's an extraordinarily challenging endeavor. <clears throat> um, traffic here, I don't know if anybody's heard of this, but it, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, none of your fisheries really... Are, are closer than 30 minutes to you um many of the ones that you want to uh partake in are at least an hour hour and a half sometimes two two and a half hours and so for guiding um gotcha yeah, like yeah the it's, olympics it's the olympic top. peninsula is, is a little drive oh that's yeah that's three and a half hours from us so that's yeah. not even a day trip but right. schedule Skagit day trip is you know if you fish somebody for eight to nine hours and they're in the car with you, um, you've you've spent twelve to fourteen hours with those people. That's right. I guess that that's it. Yeah, and when you look at say
1: Portland in comparison, there's quite a few rivers within within an hour.
0: Much closer proximity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have that too, but like the Snoqualmie and the Skykomish, with the state of our fisheries up here, are closed for a good portion of the year, yeah, or right. don't necessarily when you're honest with customers about what the experience they're signing up for is doesn't, they don't sort of rise to the top of the most appealing options during those times. So yeah, I hear you. And yeah. And
1: what you do have more of than, than Oregon is more people, which is probably the reason you've probably, you know, had more impacts on some of the, some of the populations up there just because, yeah, I mean, there's more uh, urban growth and all that, but um, yeah, we're not going to get, I don't get too much into uh, too many of the conservation, you know, yeah, right. stuff, although it's, you know, obviously important, but um, you know, one thing I did want to dig into here and we've been talking a little bit about it. I've been getting questions over the last year about cutthroat uh-huh. and, and I have some of my same questions, but when I first heard about that fishery, you guys have up there, it was just, it sounded amazing. You know, I mean, not only cutthroat, but there's some salmon moving through and stuff like that, but maybe we can just start off. You can dig in and talk about, Explain what that fishery is like to somebody who's never been out there and fished for those sea run cutthroat who are basically migrating in up into the rivers, and you're kind of catching them on the way, right?
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's such a dynamic fishery, Dave. Um, and honestly, even people that live around here, many of them are intimidated to some degree, to some degree by the vastness of the water and where and when to access and why and and there's a lot of questions that don't, you know, if you've got a trout background from a river that don't necessarily completely transition over into uh, Puget sound. Um, I, I mean, quick story anecdote on me. When I moved here, one of the first guides that I hired to work for me, uh, we went up to Whidbey Island to chase salmon and, you know, moving here from Colorado and being a pretty astute guide down there. I, I, you know, in your mid, mid to late twenties, you kind of think highly of yourself. <laughs> so we get out on the water and, and Dylan goes, Oh man, they're right out there. Let's get a fly to him. So he, you know, he, I strip off a bunch of line off of a, uh, off my rod and I make what I think is a pretty good cast. And I look over at Dylan, and he's sitting there looking at me and he's, and he's like, really, that's the best you can do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? Huh. So he 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 basically drains his entire reel out to out the end of his rod huh. fly line and uh, hooks a fish on like the second cast and I'm nice. like oh yeah no you do work for me you're going to teach me how to do that right there <laughs> um, it, it humbles you it's a it's a challenging fishery but it's incredibly rewarding in so many ways um, in particular I, I like the idea that. Uh, you know, with bad traffic and with people's busy lives around here, if you live on the I five corridor from Everett to Olympia, you probably live within 20 minutes of a beach on Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. And you know, in a in a world of of kids and and work and life and everything else, the ability to go get on the water for even half hour, 45 minutes, I think, is incredibly cathartic for people mm-hmm. and uh it's been my mission for the last 20 years to try to help people figure this fishery out so that they're they're more open arms with it and less intimidated by it nice nice so so yeah basically if
1: somebody was listening to this and just ran into this podcast and they had never been out there at all, even on the beach fishing, could you walk, you know, walk them through the steps of, you know, kind of what they need to get out there and and have a shot at catching a fish and just talk about everything from, you know, basically, I guess timing would be one thing. When, when is the best
0: time? And then, um, and then talk about some of the gear and stuff you need. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I do quite a few presentations every year on this, on this fishery. So this, I don't, I don't want this to sound canned at all, But basically, I, um, you know, the first thing, and I say this half jokingly and half not jokingly, but, you know, regardless of your casting and fishing ability, when you walk out onto the beach, um, anything that's beyond your fly, don't worry about it. Because I think the vastness of that water, when someone shells out a nice cast, they immediately look at the, um, (laughs) look at where their fly lands versus where the next, beach or where the next shoreline is straight across. And sometimes it's five miles across and, <laughs> and it can, you can feel a little bit like needle in a haystack. Like yeah. what in the am I doing here? Um, the other thing I try to help people do is, you know, if you live down South or if you live up North, you know, try to try to find two or three beaches that are close to where you live, that you can get to, easily at any given time and go see what they look like at the highest tide and the lowest tide so so you can understand what you're fishing over and if they're fishable at each one of those tide levels because there are beaches that at super low tide are worthless and there's beaches at super high tide are incredibly difficult if not impossible to fish so some of that core basic knowledge like you would have in a river is I think very important for people to understand, uh, moving forward with trying to approach the sound.
1: Okay. And is there a, you know, as far as beaches, I mean, are there some that maybe have more fish migrating through or around or others that you wouldn't even want to go to, or can you just go out to any beach and expect there might be a trout out there?
0: No, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that, um, there's a fair bit of, of, uh, observational data on this um cutthroat aren't necessarily the most well-studied species in the sound although that's starting to change with the coastal cutthroat coalition um down south where the sound gets smaller uh your um beaches that you have access to tend to be closer to smaller estuaries and the surrounding estuarine area has many of the characteristics that would deem those fish wanting to stay close to that area, make it, I think, more consistent to approach those beaches and have a little more confidence that you're going to run into fish down there. Okay. Um, You know, that substrate of, of, uh, oyster beds and mud. And and mixed in with some kelp and some eel grass, and not a super steep drop to the beach, um, but not cert- certainly not super flat. Um, all the things that will that will coalesce all the different food forms in that ecosystem to all be in the same place at the same time. I think uh, help the trout be more residential, if you will, in an in a fishery where they tend to be more transient. Gotcha. Okay, so. Okay, yeah. There's some there's some
1: tips there as far as finding some of the fish. Now, as far as getting out there, timing wise, is there a, a? I mean, I know there's a lot of variation in cutthroat life history and stuff, but is there a good time where you'd say this is the the hot time to go, or you know, or could you speak to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because when I moved here, the the common thought, at least that I had access to, was that the sound was kind of worthless in like you know. November, December, January. Um, they're a spring spawner. So, um, all the chum and all the chum fry and the most of the other species of salmon fry start to enter the salt water as a food source in Puget sound sometime in late February through March and April. And then we can go on about that later. But, Mm -hmm. um, my birthday's in January and one year, Again, Dylan and I were J- January, January what? 9th. Oh, 9th. Perfect.
1: I'm, I'm, uh, mine's 15th. So we're, we're you're a, uh, are you a Capricorn? Oh, yeah, baby. There uh, you go. All right.
0: <laughs> definitely a Capricorn.
1: Perfect. So you have, uh, you probably have ADD then. I do have a little ADD. Yeah. There you go. There you it's go. It's starting to emerge. It, any, get... any Adderall?
0: Are you, are you working the Adderall? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't hit that yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, Uh, was I just gonna say I I forgot I sorry I interrupted you I told no it's totally fine um so we were fishing on my birthday and I didn't feel like driving to a steelhead river and we didn't want to go to the yak and I was like let's go fish the sound because we always fished on my birthday for those years that Dylan and I were together here and and uh (laughs) he's like really what a waste of time (laughs) and and we went out and checked out some new beaches down south and just had a phenomenal day we were both totally blown away by how good the fishing was in january hmm. um and so that sort of started to shift my mindset on puget sound and to circle back to your question there's you know i probably know a couple hundred beach access points in the entire sound and i think there might only be like one or two that i've fished regularly and not caught a fish on at some given time oh, wow. So you, you can have lightning strike on any beach that you want. It's just a matter of, of putting yourself out there often.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. Okay. So that, yeah, that's helpful then. You know, there's a couple of things. So it doesn't necessarily, you're not stuck to, I mean, it was funny. I was talking to, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think now when, when that episode, uh, I think it, it comes out. Jason? Uh, no, no. Yeah. I, I did, did talk to Jason, but, um, um, uh, Shepherd, I, Marty and me. I had, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just had a brain brain fart there, but yeah, talking to Marty and he was talking about the uh, the season on the John Day for Steelhead, which is like a month. Yep, you know, and it just hits home. That is, I mean, that's talk about a tough fishery to to hit. You know, I mean, you've got a month, but the, given the cutthroat, where maybe you have twelve months. You know, I mean, that that makes it yeah. a little a little bit easier, but um, yeah. So okay, well, that, that's definitely one. One big piece. Now, what about as far as the gear? I mean, you're going out there because and there are salmon, too, that you are targeting out there. But when you go for Sea yep. Run Cutties, what, what's your outfit look like? Um,
0: <clears throat> well, personally for me, I I fish a six weight um, with a floating line. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, I like to, as of the last few years, I've resigned myself to fishing almost exclusively a surface fly that my dad developed, uh, that we call the sound searcher. And I just, I think the, on on average, more people, you know, again, in the spirit of trying to help people become, um, quickly, uh, assembled for that fishery without having to spend another thousand bucks, they'll do it anyway. But like upfront, I want to get people on the water. Mm -hmm. um, Six weight floating line, or, you know, you could do a five weight. Almost everybody has that. Yeah. So we're already there. Now we're talking about the flies and the fishery instead of what gear you need. Yep. Um, but I fish a six weight with a floating line uh, because I like to fish the surface fly most of the time. Uh, you, many people up here are very adamant about fishing intermediate lines, whether it's uh, 40, plus, 40 plus or uh, similar shooting heads or just a full intermediate, uh, like lake line. Mm -hmm. Um, and those, those obviously those work too. There's definitely beaches during certain times of the year where, um, fishing, those sinking tips put you in the position to hang up on the bottom or other debris that are on the bottom. If a cast doesn't quite work out or if you're fishing in the summer over some of the netting, that's over some of the shellfish beds. Mm -hmm. Uh, that'll drop fast enough that it'll get to the netting and you'll end up hanging up and having to break your fly off on the netting. So, gotcha. uh, floating line, just a little bit more, a little bit more user friendly right off the bat. Um, and then salt water, I'm sure everyone's aware of it wreaks havoc on anything that's not anodized or prepared for salt water. So you can use your $35 to hundred dollar reel, but, it's a battle you will eventually lose, right? You will eventually end up having to get another reel. So if, if you're buying new stuff, get a rod that doesn't have nickel silver in the componentry and doesn't have a wood insert, um, get one with a fighting butt and get a reel that's been anodized and has a sealed drag.
1: Gotcha. Okay, perfect. And there's probably lots of uh, companies that you know, can cover you on that sort of stuff. Do you have any recommendations for, you know, if you're, if somebody is to come in your shop and put together an outfit, what what would you say is a easy thing for them to, you know, as far as rod reel line, what, what do you like to use?
0: Uh, personally, I'm using Thomas and Thomas. Uh, their new 250 Exocet SS rod is a really, really nice stick for out there. It's mm-hmm. an eight foot, eight inch um, tip recovers quickly. Why, why the, the eight foot, about, why the
1: eight foot, eight inches versus a nine foot or even a, say a nine and a half or longer?
0: That's a good question. Um, the one thing that I've seen over the, over the years with Puget Sound is that if you compare it to a trout, trout river, even if you're floating it from a boat, you're going to, you're trying to cast as far as you can all day long, <laughs> all day long and it's not bone fishing or tarpon fishing, you know, Oh, I tarpon fish. I'll be able to handle this. Well, tarpon fishing is opportunistic as is bone fishing and, and you might go hours between casts. And so here you're literally casting as far as you can. Most of the time all day long, people just wear themselves out. Right. right? I'll do (laughs) on full day trips. I do late lunches because if I stop for lunch at a normal time, yeah after lunch their arm is shot we have like another <laughs> hour hour and a half before it's just falling apart so and,
1: and, and why is that if you're to you know again if you're if you hadn't fished that area so you know you've got your setup now you're at the area why can't you just go up there and you know make a 40 a foot 30 foot cast can you take us to you know you're sitting there on the beach how you find like find find a fish and why you have to cast so far and so often
0: you don't have to um
1: but you try to, yeah. <laughs> oh, you so. just because you want to. Just you, everybody enjoys doing the uh, what, what uh, Tom larimer calls the hero cast, right? Yeah, the hero casting. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: well, and you're always, you're almost always going to find yourself in a place, regardless of the beach, where um, there's going to be fish showing themselves beyond where your fly is, and so it puts you in this position of wanting to extend your cast. 10 feet, 15 feet. And whether that's waiting out to your chest and compromising distance that way, or it just is simply asking for a cast. You can't deliver. You're, you're constantly trying to do that regardless of it. The total, like break it right down, come right down to the facts. We catch most of our fish at 30 feet. Yeah. So if you can cast 40 feet and you're comfortable with that and you can, you know, you're secure enough in your mind to be able to ignore what you see at 60 and 70 uh, and just fish the 40, just fish the 40. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's great. Cool. Okay. And the fly, you mentioned the, uh, the sound search or your dad's pattern. Uh, I'll try to yep. put a link to that or something similar in the show notes if I can, but what, um, can you describe that to somebody who hasn't seen what that looks like or just a typical and also what a typical tr- uh, cutthroat fly might look
0: like? Yeah. The, um, Dad, dad developed this fly for smallmouth bass actually down on the north or down on the main stem umqua, mm-hmm. And we were fishing it one day, and I said to him, I think I need to try that in the sound. And came up and just hammered him. Um, it's very simple it's angel hair that's dubbed onto the body and then left hanging out the end as a tail. Uh, you've got foam that's pulled from the. Um, from the back up to the front and tied off with a little bit of a looks a little bit like a crease fly or a, a waking fly, mm-hmm. uh, with an eye epoxied on the bottom. Uh, dad puts par markings kind of on one end of the foam. So basically it emulates a bait injured bait fish that's on its side, sort of scooting mm-hmm. across the surface of the water. Wow, that's It's cool. a very simple pattern to tie, but it's, very effective. So when you
1: cast, you know, you make your hero cast or whatever out there. And so are you just, what's the stripping like, or what, what's the next step after that, after the cast?
0: Generally what I tell people from the beach is, you know, when you step out onto a beach, I, uh, this is an observant sport. And I often see people just, just trying to hustle into the water as fast as they can. And there's so much you can learn from just taking a few moments before you do that to just look at the water. Uh, um, so especially if you've got a high vantage point, rig your rod up up high where you can kind of see what's going on out in front of you and watch the current. If you Can you tell which direction the tide's moving? Um, know your tides. Is it at the low or is it at the high or in the middle? Uh, is there new, you know, if this is a newer beach or this is a new season for that beach, is there any new You know, structure out there like seasonal kelp that started to emerge or anything like that? And how does that change that current that you're fishing across? And, and most importantly, are there any fish rising anywhere? Because hmm. you will see cutthroat oftentimes pushing the surface, um, jumping clear out of the water, no kidding. so yeah. on and so forth. So a lot of times they will raise their hand and say, hey, here I am <laughs> right here. And that gives you a, a point to start at because a lot of people look at the beach and it's really difficult to say with certainty, this is exactly where you want to start right a lot of the beaches where it, the substrate's pretty uniform the full length of the beach hmm. so get in you know figure out where you can step in and work with the tide as opposed to like we're accustomed to in rivers working upstream you're going to step in and and cast perpendicular to the current i usually tell people to lay their four fingers down on the water in front one of them with their index fingers sticking straight out and then make cast at each of those different finger angles on the water. When you've done your pinky, which is typically close to parallel to the beach, mm-hmm. walk about half the distance of your cast and repeat mm-hmm. and use that methodology to work your way down the beach. And then whether the tide's coming in or going out, if it's a longer beach, by the time you've covered most of that water, if you step back up to where you were, you've either lost a foot or two of tide or you've gained a foot or two of tide. And you're effectively fishing new water. So <laughs> if moving to a new beach isn't an option or there are fish around, then start that whole process over again and and you're fishing fresh water.
1: No, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, those are great tips. Okay. So basically, yeah, you just got to get out there and put your time. And now if you're, if you find a beach that you've been to and you hit a fish, you landed a fish out there at a certain tide, a certain time of the day. I mean, can you kind of record all that data and, and, and probably come back the next month or maybe even a year later and expect, you know, that you might, it might still be a good spot or does it just kind of change a lot?
0: Yeah, that's, that's such a good question. Um, I think there's, I think there's been, Pretty decent consistency on some of the beaches that we go to, but I've also seen um, what I, I didn't really used to believe that pre- pressure could push these fish off of beaches, but I, I think I've changed my opinion on that. I think uh, places where a lot of people go now have become more difficult to consistently find fish, and I, I genuinely, because all other situations are pretty much the same on those on those beaches um attribute the lack of consistency to the amount of angling pressure on some of those beaches mm.
1: gotcha okay so yeah you definitely have that and and you've seen some increasing in pressure for for this type of fishery or is there an overlap maybe you can describe now you know a little bit on the the salmon uh, you know that how that works the overlap there do you, do you have people fishing for both species at similar times a year
0: yeah we do it's it's a little complicated. Um, in that we have uh we do we have salmon that come in and starting in like mid-july and uh those this year's a pink year so every other year we have we have pink salmon that start to arrive at that point and they'll be here till you know, mid late august and at that point the coho start to arrive and you do it's it's funny salmon bring out a whole new breed of angler and yeah some, <laughs> yeah and <laughs> Sometimes just people that don't come out the rest of the year come out just to fish for salmon. Yeah. Um, and the tactics really are fairly similar. Your flies, for the most part, fairly similar, albeit that the pink flies for pink salmon seem to be the only way to go. If you really want to truly catch pink salmon, it needs to be a pink fly. Oh. Um, and have yet to successfully transliterate why that is uh, interviews with pinks, but that seems to be the case. So.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so is there a time, so if somebody wanted to, you know, just wanted to do the sea run cutthroat fishing and they wanted to avoid some of the crowds, is there a time where you can go where there wouldn't be any salmon? It'd be kind of less pressure.
0: Yeah, I think the the salmon beaches are fairly well known. Um, Lincoln park is a, is a fairly sizable one, pretty close to the store. And When you walk out to it from the parking lot on the south end of the park, you see a couple people out there usually, and you don't really truly understand how many people are out there till you get out to the point and look to the right, and there's 200 people standing there. No kidding. And you're like, yeah, you're like, oh god, not fishing here today. Yeah, it's crazy. So I think my my take on this is is you know the fly shops. Our goals our goal should be to help people be successful on the water. And in doing so, I I understand that people have a state of mind that there's places you don't want to share with the with the world. And I'm not going to say I'm not I'm immune from having that feeling, but I also believe that spreading out angling pressure by sharing other places and helping other people find their own water that they can kind of call their own is is also equally important. Mm-hmm. And so I regularly sit down on Google Earth and ask people where they live and point out access points of places that they should maybe go check out because I think that as much as there isn't a bunch written, out, written about the sound out there as far as access, there is some. And the down, the downfall is because there's so little literature on it and all the literature points to the same places, everybody that's new coming to it goes to the same places. So those places are just getting hammered. No kidding. And so I challenge people to be a little more diversified in where they where they go to the beach uh to fish. Mm-hmm.
1: And and so it sounds like, I mean, there's not a ton of resources out there. I'm not sure if you're talking about books or what, but is there, you know, if somebody wanted to find the best resources other than, well, I mean, maybe you can talk about what which one you're talking about there, but are there others? Is there online resources or is it just kind of, there's not much out there?
0: Well, I mean, it's funny because when I, again, pre, not necessarily pre-internet, but certainly pre-Google Earth, Gazetteer, uh, Chris and Dylan and I, basically, we'd spend I remember a couple of days where we never even wet a line, but we were driving from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. and all we did was just drive around and investigate little dead end roads that hmm. looked like they ended at beaches. Nope, oh, can't fish this one. <laughs> oh, well, this one looks good. Let's do, well, nope, can't fish this one. Yeah. You know, and that and that was just kind of how we found a bunch of these little places that we that we went to. Um, and with Google Earth, that's just become so much easier to do. And yeah. so. I I get it. Um, People don't have or want to dedicate the time necessarily to doing that. They just want it to be – they want to be given a – dropped a pin, shown exactly where to go and how to do it and show up and do it. And I I genuinely feel that if you take five more minutes of your time just to do a little tiny bit of due diligence and everyone on our staff is more than willing and happy to sit down and help people do this – Go check this place out, you know, because I'll do this regularly with with customers that um, are really keen to to learn new beaches. I'll actually point out places that I myself have wanted to check out. I'm like, you should maybe you should check this place out and send them on. a Give them a little homework yep. and see what happens. And it's funny. Oftentimes they come back a couple days later. Like that was a great, that was a great beach.
1: This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, a company that makes sustainable fly fishing gear in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Deli Fresh blends old waders and recycled sailcloth with Cordura canvas to make rugged, river-tested gear, such as wallets, sling packs, and my favorite, beer koozies. I had a great chat with Ross at Deli Fresh as I was blown away by his dedication to fly fishing and conservation. Here's a short clip of how Ross reduces waste with his personal actions and as a responsible company. But as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact uh, by riding a bike or taking uh, the bus or shared, uh, shared cars, stuff like that on, uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people. And, and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis. My own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or riding a bike, Uh, and then trying to see what, uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Pretty good stuff, right? Let's support a great company doing business the right way. All of DFD's gear will help you spend more time casting and less time juggling your stuff. To see these great products, go follow them on Instagram where you can see their latest designs. Head over to DeliFreshDesign.com and use the coupon code WFS20 to get 20% off your next order. That's Deli Fresh design and the coupon code WFS20. What now, and I don't know all the details of of who's on your staff, but um, I mean how do you avoid you're the I mean it sounds like you're the the main person to kind of run the show up there. How do you avoid getting uh, stuck in the shop these days? <laughs>
0: oh my uh i buy a plane ticket to another continent <laughs> is that yeah because you have done, and the yeah. the
1: cool the cool thing about this is um you know i'm kind of in a destination diy season you know i'm calling it so i'm trying to really focus on some of those destin in, in destination actually i had um, um some people on that have we've joked about the destination thing because you know what is really a destination i mean you know sea run cutthroat is a destination probably to somebody but I mean, you guys—you've traveled around the world. I mean, what, what, is that—I'm um, not even sure of your history. Maybe you can speak to a little bit about,
0: you know, what what you enjoy getting out and doing. Well, uh, you you brought up a couple of great points. One, I I I do believe Puget Sound should be a destination fishery. Um, I think Seattle should be. I think Seattle's underappreciated as far as what it brings to the angling world, just by virtue of if you're here in anywhere from well, God, just about any month of the year, there is so much to do here at any given time. As long as you've got an open mind yeah. and have rod and are willing to to chase fish.
1: So what about right now? April, like, what is it, mid-April?
0: Yeah, like this year's is maybe as spectacular as it's been ever in the last 20 years because you've got catch and release season on Skagit and Sock open for the first oh, time wow. in April and probably close to 10 years um and you've got the peninsula and then you've got puget sound with sea run cutthroat and the fryer in the in the salt now Hmm. the yakima is is fishing well uh between sort of pushes of water um creeks aren't open yet but some of the lakes are starting to that are open all year starting to fish fairly well as well Hmm. uh east side stuff like some of the um There's just so much to do. Some of the lakes have carp in them and the carp start to get a little anxious right about now too, as the water starts. to warm. So there's no lack of things to do. It's just not all centralized. Like when you fly and drive into Ennis or Bozeman and you've got all these world renowned rivers within half hour, 45 minutes of you, we have that too. You just have to broaden that map out a little bit.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, cool. So, and then, um, and yeah, like you said, you you buy a plane ticket. So so if you have to buy a plane ticket, where where you know where are you headed? Where, where's your next destination?
0: Well, I just got back from Argentina three days ago, chasing steelhead down there. And the next one is Brazil to Kenjam uh, to go get my body painted with henna huh. before I fish. <laughs>
1: But now, Argentina uh, steelhead—that's that, doesn't—that's usually not the first species that I, I think of when I think of
0: Argentina. No, I—I I'd, I'd, would venture to say there's a fair number of people that don't realize that they're even down there. Uh, but they were stocked. Uh, McLeod strain was stocked down there in 1904, and they've been successfully returning year after year uh, since. No kidding. Yep.
1: Wow, so what what's that fishery like?
0: Oh, it's massive. It's it's a huge river um which ironically when you talk to people that don't live up in this part of the world and they tell you that they've been you know they've been there they're like oh it's like fishing the Mississippi, it's gigantic and it's big. It's not anywhere near as big as the Mississippi, but it definitely feels like home if you've fished like the lower end of the Skagit or mm-hmm. Uh, clear water, or right. anything like that it's big water. It's for the two-handed angler. It's it's really a phenomenal phenomenal fishery.
1: No kidding, that's yeah. that's cool. So it's pretty much the same deal. You could be out on the swinging on the Skeena, or you could be down in Argentina where you're at. It'd be a similar deal. Yep. That's that's crazy, okay, well that's you know definitely one of the things we uh you know might have to get you back on again because there's a ton of stuff that uh you know i you know, know you've traveled a lot of places I'd like to chat with you about, um but you know one of the things i think photos right i mean you have a little bit mm-hmm. of a photo background, yep sure do. yeah i um I just recently talked to brian o'Keefe and uh, we we chatted a little bit about you know same thing with him he's been all around, and I probably a similar story to you. Um, but, um, but yeah, he, he, he provided a few little tips and things like that. I mean, what, what's your take on, um, I mean, I guess we can get into a couple tips on the photos, but I'm more, a little bit more curious on the Instagram thing. It seems like and the whole Facebook and like how we're all becoming <laughs> cyborgs and all that stuff. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what's your take, what's your take on every, everything, because you're, you're in it. You got these amazing, you got to shop, you got to post pics. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that whole thing? <sighs>
0: um, well, I think that my biggest balance currently that I wrestle with is trying to get our team, aka our staff, to appreciate the importance of the quality of post, the content of post, and the frequency of post um, and maintaining some of the ethos that our that our company maintains as far as fish not out of the water and mm-hmm. So that's just right. some of the stuff that we do. That's right. Because it is uh, the
1: is the keep them wet movement. Um, we probably won't have a ton of time to get into that, but I mean, you're a big part of that, I think. And who's leading the charge on that?
0: That's Brian Husky.
1: Yeah, Brian Husky. That's right. Yeah, we talked about Brian. I think on the last one, but um, so yeah. So I mean, that's a big movement. I mean, up there, right?
0: You're still involved in that pretty heavily. Yeah, <clears throat> I think Brian's taken the ball and run with it pretty well. Yeah, um, I'd like to. I'd like to say that I, I feel like. The trend, with at least the people that I tend to follow in in our industry, has moved in the direction and fa- uh, favoring that keep them wet state of mind, which is hmm. fantastic. And yep. I don't want I don't want to go into the any of the sure. s- specifics of it at all, but yep. it can't be a bad thing. So yeah, I'm happy to see a lot of people kind of adhering to it. It's, yeah. it's great.
1: What's your What's your take on um, barbless versus barbed uh, steelhead?
0: flies. <laughs> I just saw that while we were down in Argentina. WDFW is trying to go to not mandating barbless hooks, right?
1: Oh, man. Well, it's funny, and I didn't even know that. I, the only reason I asked that is that I had a, a guest on, um, uh, Rob Crandall, uh, who, uh, gosh, I can't remember the episode, but, but I asked him that same question, and it kind of surprised me a little bit because you know, well, I maybe mean, it didn't surprise me because I mean, I fished with barb hooks too, you know, and both, both ways, you know, and stuff like that. But he basically said, you know, well, I guess you could listen to that episode to hear what he said, but it was basically like, he doesn't think it's, you know, too much of a, uh, too much of a deal. And, um, but it sounds like you have a little bit different take.
0: Well, I mean, I, here's, here's my take on it. Just cursory. I think that, and the, I think it's a double edged sword. I think when you have anglers, and I'm talking about this from a guide perspective, when you have anglers that are are very result-oriented with why they're on the water, and a day is going to be made or broken by them catching a fish, if they know the hook is barbless, they genuinely or generally do not put as much stick to that fish no. to land them. They just are, they tend to be more ginger with it. I don't yeah. I don't know why I know we don't need to delve into the psychology there, but that tends to be the case. And so what you effectively do is overplay a fish. Yep. Which is not good. Right. Yep. Um, on the other side of that, you lose, well, not even on the other side of that because it's barbless, you have the, you have the ability of the fish to come unpinned earlier in your play which means that the fish doesn't have to endure being handled. All right. Doesn't entire fight, which both of those I think are positives to a barbed yep. hook.
1: Yep.
0: Whereas with a barbed hook, uh, staying in that realm, you typically are going to land your fish. Um, sometimes people, because it's barbed, put more heat on them and land them more quickly. But a barb is a barb for a reason. It doesn't come out without taking flesh with it.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, if you hook a fish in a sensitive part of the mouth and it's got a barb on it, it's not always going to come, come out clean, but if it's in the tongue or the corner of the tongue and the barb comes out and takes part of that with it and you bleed the fish out, yeah, it swims away, but it swims away dead. That's right. That's right. No.
1: And I, I mean, I asked that I get, I guess my perspective on it is, you know, and I fish plenty of barbed hooks in my life, but, um, you know, kind of my first trip or what our second trip up the Skeena, I guess, or maybe it was the first, it was, you know, we were all barbless, you know, it's barbless. And, yep. and I caught some of the biggest steelhead of my entire life up there. And, uh, and I had no problem. I don't, I don't even remember losing a fish and you know that's a matter of you know just kind of understanding steelhead and how to play him and all that stuff so i think that's a big part of it but you know there's a confidence thing there as well somebody who yep. maybe doesn't have the confidence it, it would be a little bit bigger struggle but um no that's cool i, I don't want to dig uh, yeah go too far on that because i know that's definitely obviously it's a wdfw has got some stuff going on everything but um You know, I mean, there's so many topics obviously on on that end. I I did want to keep it, you know, as far as on the stuff you're doing, you know, some of the fisheries. I mean, is there anything else you guys focus on when somebody comes into the shop and they want to do it? They want to get into a trip, maybe a guide or whatever. Where do you uh, point them first? Is that Sea Run Cutty fishery one that's pretty popular?
0: Yeah, Sea Run Cut are typically right atop the list. Um, You know, when I started my business, the. my goal was to travel around and fish, um, fish slash guide where the guiding was easiest. And I hate this word best, uh, around the world. I was going to be in Chile for this Mm -hmm. and Colorado for that and Oregon for this and Washington for that. And it lasted about 12 months (laughs) and, um, not conducive to a married life. And, and so I, I started to just look more critically at Washington and realize that Washington has all of those same characteristics, just in a smaller, um, in a smaller dynamic. Um, you know, right now we've got Puget sound as phenomenal, steelhead. Uh, mm-hmm. steelheading. We have steelhead rivers open that are, you know, they have fish in them so that those are, Options. The Yakima is coming into its uh, typical spring season, so that's phenomenal. And as soon as we start to get tired of that, the, um, the forks of the Snoqualmie and some smaller streams start to become hmm. uh, uh, on the plate. And then carp and bass throughout the summer. Right. And the time we get tired of that, you got fall steelheading, cruising into winter steelheading, and it just—it's just a constant sort of changeover, which is. Terrific! It yeah. means our staff needs to know more and be more adept at more fisheries and know yeah. that much more equipment um, specifics. Yeah. But uh, it also means that we have something really, really fantastic to offer somebody just about any any time they show up in Seattle.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And what I mean, you mentioned your staff there. That's kind of in getting back to that point. How do you? How do you avoid getting stuck at the shop? I kind of asked that jokingly because we've talked about that with other shop owners, um, you know, in the past. And uh, you know, I mean, so you know, buying a ticket and stuff. But but part of the struggle is is that you know if you don't have confidence in your staff because people are coming there looking for you, right? I mean, is is that not the case on your shop?
0: Yeah, no, I, we definitely definitely get that. Um, I really like. Uh, Man, how do I say this? Yes, there are some people do come in to the store and and ask for me, but I've tried to give each of our staff a component of the business to sort of oversee or or be the expert on. Mm. Um, mostly because it 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 enables them to really dive neck deep into what they're really passionate about, and for me. Having a staff that's knowledgeable, friendly, and passionate about how and why they are doing something, and collectively we are doing something, is of utmost importance to me. Mm-hmm. I just I can't have somebody who's just sitting there in a mundane way, twiddling thumbs, saying "goes shop stuff sucks." You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, just, I I just won't hire a person that has any capacity for that yeah. I don't, um so you know like caldwell is running our steelhead and swing program and has really started to take off and run down the trout's bay oh, on yeah Gap, on in the salt water for cutthroat as oh, well
1: oh yeah i was gonna ask you about the, the the space so you're doing a little bit of the the trout spay
0: yeah absolutely a ton of it mm-hmm. and there's some you know i think the trout bay rods have been around for quite a while but lines are finally starting to catch up to where that's that's a very astute tool for a lot of different fisheries now, which is super fun. Gotcha. That's Uh, cool. Yeah.
1: That's cool. So, yeah, I want to jump back in just to wrap up that, you know, the cutthroat, make sure we didn't miss anything. But um, before I get there, you know, again, you mentioned you kind of started – you know, from the beginning, fly fishing, you know, you think about, you know, you're running a business, I'm not sure what your plans are the next 20 or 30 years and things like that. But is there a, a, like a story in the past that influenced you going all in on where you're at? Or, you know, is there a potential that you, maybe you're uh, doing something else in your life right now, as opposed to a fly shop owner and everything? Huh. Well, wow, that's pretty philosophical, Dave. Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I like to try to get a little deep occasionally. It's a tough question because, you know, sometimes there isn't, there isn't that story, you know, that, that was the big, uh, you know, like the, well, you hear, I've heard it a lot where people, uh, a few times where people have said, you know, this thing, you know, basically it was, I either had to take it and or go back in a good example is Oliver White, you know, and he, you know, when I interviewed him, he talked about how he became a hedge fund manager. And because his guy he guided was this you know, guy had a lot of money and he just out of the blue said, Hey, do you want to come work for my hedge fund? And and he didn't even think he just said, sure. So he quit his, his guide business in um, you know, in Jackson hole and moved to New York to be a hedge fund manager. And the funny thing is, that's a crazy story, but the funny thing is, is it was the best experience he ever had. And because of that now he created a lodge in the Bahamas. You know, in that whole story. So I don't know if you know what I mean. That that's kind of one of those things where did did you ever have a jump off point where you're kind of like, if I got to do
0: it, and or, or I'm I'm not going all in. Whew, man, um, it's funny. I I had the same experience when I was in Telluride. CNN offered me a a job in their sp- new sports department in '98. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Now, how was that? <laughs> what, 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 like, what was your background? <clears throat> Uh, I'd CNN, CNN, um, a bunch of bigwigs from CNN were in Telluride for a, a little uh Bud business unit group uh, uh meeting, and I took them fly fishing for a couple of days. And they, one of the guys that I had was in charge of staffing this new CNN sports huh. direction that they were going to take CNN in, and uh. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, at the time I was living the life I wanted to live. And so they were like, yeah, we'd, you'd have to move to San Francisco and we'd have you doing this. And I was like, yeah, do you, you do remember where we just spent the last two days, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I, it's funny you say that about Oliver. I I commend him for taking that plunge. And I think our sports better because he did, because he's a a hell of a uh, leader in our industry right now.
1: and, and who knows with him too yeah you never know maybe he sticks where he was and and things he's still in fly fishing it's it's a safe deal but no that's interesting you had a similar i guess you guys <laughs> that's part of the thing you're guiding over there in some of these destination spots yeah you got a lot of people with a lot of money coming through oh, yeah. through that have yeah and those people i mean talk about people that are willing to maybe think outside of the box right i mean that's yeah.
0: part of their job that's how they got to where they are Absolutely. Yeah. They saw some, some little piece of shine in you to to explore, expand upon or explore. And so I I guess since then, no, I, I think, uh, if anything, I, I continue to try to personally evolve so that our business or my business can do the same. Um, I really don't want to be stagnant. I really like trying to be on the front of things that I feel are going to be trends or important yeah. to the industry moving down the, uh, how do moving you, down the road. how do you,
1: how uh, do you, how do you do that? I mean, that, that seems like a big challenge to me. How do you stay on the front end of the, the trends?
0: Uh, well, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny because I tell most of my younger staff now that they've got it so easy these days. It's ridiculous. Um, back in the day, um, Brian O'Keefe being one of my favorite people in the entire world. Mm -hmm. um, If I wanted to meet Brian O'Keefe or, or talk to him, I had to call a magazine or I had to call, you know, one of the companies that he was repping for and get, see if they'd give me his phone number. And if not, can I send you a letter and have you forward it to him? And, and then you sit around and you wait for them to either call you or write you back. I mean, it's almost, unimaginable oh, yeah. considering the day that we live in now. Right. That's true. You know, and now you, you know, if you want to meet Oliver, you go to his Instagram page yep. and shoot him a message. It's amazing. And be like, Hey dude, I dig you. Uh, <laughs> can we chat, you know? And yeah, it just, it's such a different paradigm now. So I, um, I think it's pretty easy. I think the hard part is really the willingness to be elastic and how you run your business.
1: Okay,
0: And you you it's easy to get stuck in a rut that's work, working and to step outside that and put yourself in a position to change and go against the current that you're flowing with right now, mm-hmm. which sometimes you have to do is hard and you have to be willing to do that. And yeah. I think that the only reason I'm capable of doing that as well as we do is the staff of people that work for me and their willingness to and the youthfulness that they bring to our, to our company. It's, yeah. uh, as a team, we're, we're unbeatable, but individually we're fallible. Cool. So.
1: Cool. Yeah. Maybe if we have time, then I'll, I'll try to dig into a little bit about how you find a good staff, because I know there's people here that I'm sure are listening that are, you know, relate affiliated some, some way to the fly shops. But it, I, I want to hit back on, you mentioned, I love that you mentioned O'Keefe and the fact that, you know, his messages stuff, because when I interviewed him, he talked about, I was trying to dig into what it was like being a rep. And, and he talked about how, <laughs> you know, he would, you know, before cell phones, he would, was answering machine and be like, Okay, I'm Brian, I'm gone, you know, this and that. And the funny thing is, he would go down to out of the country for like two or three weeks into the people, the companies he was working for, didn't even know where he was. It's right. It's just classic. I, I mean, talk about a pretty different uh, time, right? I mean, imagine, I mean, you keep track of everybody, right? You kind of know where everybody is. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's pretty funny, but it's a good point you make. Um, so, yeah, well, let's see. I mean, we are, gosh, we're about getting pretty close to an hour. I, I just wanted to touch on a few. I have a few uh, questions just to follow up on the C-Run Cutty. So, we yeah. talked about the flies. <laughs> we talked about one fly. Are there any, you know, if you're going to tie up some flies, is it pretty standard? Is there any type of flies that, you, you know, if, if I was going to tie up a few right now, you would recommend style-wise?
0: Well, yeah, I think I've I've got a couple of things that I want to make sure we talk about about puget sound before we bail on this okay. um this is one of them uh fly wise flies are flies are flies so for every fishery you know fly fishing is an emulated sport and imitative sport so uh you want to try to understand what you're trying to represent the best you can and i think that uh, there's enough data out there with regards to the f- food forms that cutthroat eat that fly tying being a form of art you can go and look at what some of these uh, food forms are and develop your own flies. You don't necessarily have to hmm. use a recipe, but yep. look at what the small shrimp and the euphosids look like and look at what the worms look like and be creative, create your own stuff and, and uh, on the bait fish that are so prevalent from sand lance and herring and perch and the, all the salmon fry and stuff like that. Um, mostly, at least for me, I, I pay attention to eye size And where its location is on the body, if you're using epoxy in the head at all. Um, And other than that, I generally don't like to use heavily weighted flies. Uh, I like flies that move more parallel to the water column, um, in the water column that they're in, as opposed to do a bunch of vertical migration and dropping like a clouser does. Yeah. Uh, one, I think it's easier for most people to cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, two, I think when you look at how a lot of the bait fish tend to elude predation, some of them do dive, but by and large, they scoot more quickly on a level plane where they're, where they're being chased. Right. So I think you're being more representative by using stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. Those are
1: good. Those are good tips for sure. Okay. So, so when you're casting out there, yeah, you're just, you're perpendicular to the flow or the tide or however that's coming in. And then, and then you're stripping across, basically trying to cross it in front of their path as they're feeding. And, and so, yeah. So if your, if your fly is just kind of under the surface film or whatever, that, that's fine. Your kitchen. So these fish, are you almost seeing them come up out of the rising, seeing their mouth come off of the surface of the water?
0: Sometimes on calm days, and if you're using a floating line where you've got your fly fairly high in the water column, yes, you will see a V wake following your fly. That's sweet. It's exhilarating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yet another reason I
1: like fish floating lines. That's cool. And yeah, and most of these fish are you're catching as far as the sea runs
0: are what like uh, twelve up to seventeen inches. Yeah, that's a that's a good base average. I mean, we've caught larger, and we certainly catch smaller. Um, The other thing on the fly thing, I'd throw out there, it'd be we tend to try to use really small hooks. Okay, Uh, you will find you'll find a four inch to six inch cutthroat eating a three to four inch fly, and if your fly has got too big a gape on it, you you oftentimes hook them right in the head and kill them. Oh, gotcha. So we tend to try to get people to use smaller and smaller hooks for their flies. Gotcha.
1: Um, what's a typical also, like style or, or, brand of hook that you, or you might
0: use? Uh, <clears throat> funny enough, I have, you can use, you can spend more money on saltwater hooks, but I actually use kind of standard streamer hooks, mm-hmm. freshwater. That way, if you ever do snap one off in a fish, it just rusts out that much more quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. the, uh, the other thing I tell people tying bait fish is always tie your flies just slightly longer than you think you need because you can trim when you're on the water uh mm-hmm. to fit to match size if you feel like you need to. Gotcha. But it's difficult to add material. Okay.
1: Okay, cool. And so yeah, what are we missing? Are we missing anything here as far as if you're, you know, kind of brand new to it, you grab your nine foot five weight and you're heading out there. Is there any other tactics or tips you want to provide to help somebody find their first fish?
0: Um yeah, don't don't feel like you need to wade out to your waist. I see a lot of people standing out to their waist and their chest and mm. if you're standing that deep, especially on beaches with a lower gradient, unless there's a fish that you're that you're literally casting to, uh, you're standing in that that water depth zone where the fish will typically want to be. So yeah. it's better to be ankle to shin deep, knee deep, maybe. Okay. What is uh, the
1: zone? What is is there a depth zone that you, you try to shoot for?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. i I'd, I'd like to say one and a half to six feet. Oh, okay, yeah, up to six feet, gotcha. I mean, you can catch them a little bit deeper, obviously, uh-huh. too. Um, but, you know, when you're attacking them from the beach, they're looking for food that's going to find sanctuary where you're standing typically.
1: Gotcha, okay. This is good. Okay, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, I think probably from what we talked about, you could go up there, find a beach, and... You know, find a spot and just make some casts. Do you guys also use? I mean, would a spay rod or any of that come in handy? You're out there. Could you do people do that at all?
0: Yeah, we, um, we, I started using trout spay rods about, boy, seven or eight years ago out there. Um, I wasn't really happy with the line configurations at the time as far as. You really want a one-piece fly line out there. Uh, all the loop to loop connections, okay, from okay. tips and heads, and all and running lines just gather kelp and just they just illuminate the fact that you've got a fly line in front of your fly. So a one-piece fly line is ideal. And the new SA uh, Scandi and uh, Spay Spay lights and Skagit and Scandi are are pretty sweet, pretty sweet little lines on a variety of different trout spay rods. So yeah, okay, perfect and.
1: Well, I think uh, yeah. Unless you have anything else, I wanted to just jump into a couple. I got a little bit of a rapid fire round here. If, yeah, if you want to jump into it, it. yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess w- one thing I wanted to just touch on. This is more of a uh, just a mindset question. But you know, when you started your shop, I'm not sure how it all went down. But can you just take us to that moment when you first opened the doors and
0: and what that was like? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know how a sea anemone kind of draws in as soon as you touch it (laughs) oh yeah is that as as, as i wanted to i wanted to figure out a way to turn and run as quickly as i could (laughs) no kidding why was that (coughs) i was scared shitless no kidding yeah What, what
1: so how do you so you go from um i'm not even sure you know what you were doing before that but well, well you were guiding yeah you were guiding and then you you basically jumped off and and went from and you were still guiding but you bought the shop so so basically it, all
0: everything's in this one basket right it's either succeed or or fail yeah and that's i mean i think more than anything is you know i i started it from ground zero it was a non-existent shop so oh, wow um i <sighs> it was it was an elevation in our business that i had i when i moved here i actually told myself i did not want to own a shop and it just you know different situations arose over the last 15 years that just sort of drove me kind of hedged me in that direction to where that was kind of what i needed to do and i guess when i say scared shitless the biggest thing that freaked me out was one the monetary responsibility of it mm-hmm and what that could do to my family if it if it failed and two was i view my staff as family and now i've got a handful of people and now it's a dozen that rely Mm -hmm. on me for their livelihood and so that to me that takes on an entirely different weight if you will and and i take it seriously So, yeah, yeah. no, I think that's that part that scared me the most. I hear you. No, I asked
1: that question about the jumping off. I mean, yeah, I mean, just doing the shop is your is your point. I mean, that's that's for sure. A lot of people probably decided not to do do it, you know, and and you jumped in into a place that was new. I mean, how did you what gave you the um, the feeling that you could be successful at it?
0: Um, I think it was I think it was really derived from. From having a handful of of customers, clients that had known me for a long, long time, sitting down with me and having earnest, candid conversations about why they repeatedly Hmm. used me as a guide over other options, uh, repeatedly enjoyed their time and and everything with me, and how that could extrapolate into a broader audience if a store was to to be in the in the business mix. So, um, I, I guess I've through my life, almost everything I've ever wanted to accomplish, I've accomplished and I'm always up for a good challenge and this was a pretty good challenge. So,
1: uh,
0: yeah, so why not?
1: Yeah yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay. Well let's uh yeah, let's jump into this. So we talked a little bit about the flies. I've got I usually ask a couple of my, you know, two 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 questions that your top two flies, top two tips, and top two resources. And I guess we're kinda of talking about cutthroat fishing. We've yep. talked about the flies. Do you have a name of a f another pattern that you might throw out there that somebody can find online? Um <clears throat> let's see here. And if not, we we, could, yeah, we could just, I don't know if your website, do you guys sell flies as well? There are a lot of through flies.
0: Yeah, we don't sell, we don't sell flies online. That's a whole other other thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, No. so the sound searcher is one and I guess the other one I would, I would be probably the foul free herring.
1: Okay. All right, perfect. And, you know, you've thrown out some tips definitely along the way. Anything else that, you know, for somebody that's maybe going out there for their first time? Uh, it could be even a general fly fishing tip to, to help them get into a fish.
0: Uh, This is going to probably not be what you want, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right. Uh, ask questions. Uh-huh. Sure. They're just so many people are so bashful and and being, you know, way too – you know, pride minded to just simply ask questions. Now we are, I am adamant about us being an open book and, and wanting to literally wanting to watch people succeed. So we hold nothing secret, just come in and or call or email or FaceTime and ask, ask questions. Perfect.
1: No, that's a great one. I, I agree. I'm always people that are connecting with me online. It's, it's the same thing. I think that's, that's a big part of it. So, okay. And then, um, Uh, let's see here. So yeah, do you have a couple of, well, we talked about resources, I guess there's not a heck of a lot out there. What was the, did you mention, was there a book or something that's directing people to these, these popular spots? Is is that, what is that resource we're talking about?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's two that I kind of like, and they're not fishing specific. Uh, and one is out of print. Um, one's called a foot and a float in the sound. And I believe they still have a North sound and a South sound version. Uh, and then the other one is called Beach Walks and Hikes around Puget Sound, and okay. it's out of print, but you can find it used for like five, ten bucks on the internet, pretty easy. So,
1: okay, perfect, perfect. What about? Um, let's see here. So, well, we talked about photos a little bit. Do you have one photo tip you might give somebody when it goes to you know taking pictures when they're out there fishing?
0: Oh boy! I know, uh, I know
1: there's a I know there's a bunch of different things we could talk about here, from you know fish pictures <clears throat> to whatever. But I don't know if you <laughs> if you have a uh, you know what did s- Brian say? You know what Brian said? Brian. Well, the funny thing about Brian, I kind of I, I didn't call him out, but I, I I searched. I went back to a Tom uh, Rosenbauer interview he did back in 2011, and he he that whole show was like O'Keefe's top 10 photo tips, right? So, <laughs> yep. And they were great. I mean, some of them were like you know. Just obvious stuff like always put it on, uh, you know, either a tripod or have a have it stable. Um, to things like getting your angle, sticking it on a stick, and having your camera at a different angle that you don't. It's not eye level, right? So right. he also had one that was that said something about when you take your fish picture, make sure it's the camera lens is just above the fish's eye. So just stuff like that. Yeah, he had a bunch of little things that we kind of we kind of dug into. And and I'll, and I'll provide a link at, um, I'm not sure what episode, but yeah, you can go in the show notes. I'll have a link to that episode here.
0: Um, I guess the only thing I would say is (laughs) that's (laughs) a good question. I know. Uh,
1: well, you know, well, let me
0: go ahead. Have your camera preset for the, for the type of day you're experiencing so that, um, so that you don't need to fumble with your camera and, Okay. Settings and stuff like that to accommodate what yep. you're trying to shoot that day.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's cool. I, and I was just thinking. So, I mean, you do. I mean, a, a photos, right? It, it, that's kind of one of your things. Can you
0: talk about yeah. just a little
1: bit about what, what what the whole photo, what you do? I mean, you do. Is you, the Instagram stuff? Is that a lot of the photos you take?
0: My my feed personally is almost exclusively just my my photos. Our shop feed is a mix of all of our staff's photos, and our travel feed is mostly mine but other people too uh from our from our travel side of the business
1: okay what what's your feed what's your at
0: at dave mccoy e w a
1: okay cool yeah and then and then it's uh just at emerald water angling anglers or uh,
0: uh your the other the other feeds yeah, yeah it's at emerald water anglers w a and then at e w a fly shop underscore seattle
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, let's keep this going here. So, um, so what is your? Uh, you get off the water. What's what's your favorite beverage?
0: Changes like the fish seasonally. Sometimes right. it's a. Sometimes it's a nice malbec. Sometimes it's a. Yep. Straight up tequila shot.
1: There you go. Nice, nice. Yeah, you mix it up. Okay. What about? Um, you know, as far as you know, your your best just generally fly fishing. Do you have a book, magazine, video, or some resource that is uh, you know you you would recommend or you really enjoy? Um,
0: I think these days the Fly Fish Journal would be the one that I would try to point most people at. Yep. Um, and it's mostly because it's not how to at all. No. It is a hundred percent emotional attachment to the sport and what surrounds it. And I think if you want people to be in the sport for the long haul all the how-to is out there on YouTube. Like there's no reason for magazines to be writing how-to anymore. Right. Um, and I think the Flyfish journal is the pinnacle of, of bringing story and, and, and uh, emotion to the sport that we love so much.
1: Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think, yeah, I've had uh, Steve Duda and uh, Jason Rolf both on the podcast. I'll have links to those as well in the note in the show notes. Uh, yeah. And it is, it's a, uh, you know, a little bit, you know, it was newer to me, you know, when I first started chatting with those guys, but yeah, it's definitely. And now I've had, uh, you know, River Horse, uh, Nakadate and, you know, that <laughs> guy. So awesome. Yeah. That guy's a, definitely a, a piece of work. So and hopefully, actually, I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully I'm going to head down to, to Texas and, uh, go hang out with him. So, uh, but yeah, let's keep this ro- rolling. So what about, um, your, your music? Do you have a favorite band or type of music you, you like to listen to?
0: Uh, well, I've got a 13 year old daughter, so I tend to listen to a lot of what she listens to. Oh, there you to. go.
1: Like, what is it? What is a 13 year old? Cause I have actually uh five and seven year old daughters. What, what does a 13 year old daughter listen to these days?
0: Well, it varies a little bit like me. Some days she's really keen on teaching herself riffs on her guitar from Led Zeppelin oh, to, nice. uh, Justin Timberlake, or it kind of, it, <laughs> Yep. it's, it spans the gamut.
1: Yep. That's it. That's it. Okay. And, and for you, did you, you go back to – did you go to uh, U of O, did you say, or you grew up in yep. Eugene? Yep, both. So that's kind of a, a little bit of a, a hippie town. Were you a, a dead a deadhead or a dead follower? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. I mean, I I worked at the Kiva for a while and uh, went to the country fair a few times oh, yeah. and definitely attended a couple dead concerts. But never once would you see me wearing tie-dye or – No. No. So wearing, what,
1: what would uh, you – so back in college, what were you listening to?
0: Metallica, Guns yeah. N' Roses, Pearl Jam, stuff right. like that. That's right. Right, at the onset of all that, so.
1: Yeah, that was right, yeah. So the year, whatever that was, yeah, the 90s, somewhere in that period. Okay, yeah. well, that is, um, you know, that's that's about all I have here. I had a couple other questions. I think, you know, maybe we'll have to leave, you know, till next time. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out there? I just want to make sure we covered the, the C-Run Cuddy before I let you go. Is there anything we're missing here to, to, you know, help somebody get going on it?
0: No, I don't. I mean, there is, but. Yeah. The, doesn't, nothing that would be satisfactorily covered in 30 seconds. (laughs) That's
1: right. That's right. (laughs) And if they want to find uh, more information, they can get a hold of you um, up there or swing by the shop. I mean, I guess there's, and now are there other areas we're, we're talking Seattle, but I mean, I'd imagine you can do this sort of stuff we're talking about in other States, right? I mean, do you hear about other people doing the same sort of thing?
0: Yeah, there's, there's definitely been, um, like the Oregon coast has some places you can do it. As well. I'm not yep. terribly familiar with it, but it tends to be more estuary like, like mouth of know, the Sayuslaw and and in the uh Tillamook area, stuff yep. like that. Yep. Um and people try to do it on the coast out here in Washington as well, on the other side of the peninsula. So oh, okay. You definitely have to it's definitely a, a little bit of a different deal. Puget Sound is very unique in in how we in how we do it. Yeah. Uh, inside and- passage in BC would be fairly similar. Okay. But- but yeah.
1: Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. And I'll have uh, uh, Jay Nicholas. Uh, I'm going to have him on the show in an upcoming oh, uh, episode to talk more about some of the C Run stuff. And I think he's going to cover, you know, probably a little bit, a little bit more of the Oregon. Uh, yeah. More of the river type of stuff. So cool. Um, and they're actually, yeah, I guess I'll put a note to his book. I think he does have a C run cutthroat book. Um, and I'm not even sure if he covers your area or not, but, um, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So, um, so cool. Well, in the next uh, six to 12 months, anything new we can expect from you, you got going out there. You want to let us know?
0: Um, nothing that's not top secret. Okay. Oh,
1: right. Cool. All right. So you got, you got you got you got some trips you got some trips planned that you can't uh, release yet.
0: No, I nothing I'm doing is top secret per se. Yeah. Um, it's just a fog of of things out in front of me. So to pull one thing out of it right now would be yeah. different.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So you're just gonna and I'm thinking right now we're 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 in this April period, but yeah, you guys are staying p- pretty busy. How does it as you get into summer? Do you get into some more of the river trout fishing stuff? Is that the Yakima? I guess you're talking about.
0: Yeah. The Yakima will fish, it fishes all year. The creeks are what we look forward to in the summer. Oh, okay. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is keep an eye on what our women's program is going to do moving forward. It's going to be, it's going to blow up here in the near future.
1: Oh, sweet. Sweet. Yeah. That's uh, another huge topic that yeah. I'm going to cover more of, uh, on this as well. So no, this is good. Well, Dave, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. If people want to find you, emeraldwateranglers.com is the best place.
0: Yep, that'll do it.
1: All right, man. Well, I appreciate you. You know, we, we took a little bit of time. You know, it's well worth it to get you on here. I think we covered a lot of good stuff and some people are you know, lots of people, I'm sure we'll get some good info out of this one and just want to thank you again for coming on.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it and love what you're doing with your podcast, buddy. All right, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. All right, see you, man. See you.
1: So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 77 interested in getting a huge discount on a custom oil painting of your trophy fishing pick you can get access to this bonus and many more at the Wetfly swing member society that's uh, just go to uh, wetflyswing.com slash members to find out how to get exclusive discounts like this one and support local companies and the podcast all in one thanks again for stopping by and check out the show today i'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river